Welcome to Peace by Believing with John Redmond, Associate Pastor of First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. As Christians, we still face temptations on a daily basis. They can vary in kind and severity of consequences, but if we give in to them, they each can take a toll on our walk with the Lord. Today, John looks to Scripture to answer the question, what happens at the moment of temptation? If you have your Bible today, open it please to the book of 1 Corinthians. I want us to look at a passage from the New Testament. And then I want us to go to the Old Testament and see how this is fleshed out and how it worked in a man's life, a young man's life, many, many years ago. The moment of temptation, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and let's begin in verse number 12. Paul is talking here to the Corinthian church. They were probably the most sinful church that Paul ever wrote to. They were involved in all kinds of sin and things that were unholy and ungodly and not right. And so he's writing this letter to try to put them on a better path. And in verse 12, Paul says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Now, let me comment on that. What was Paul saying there? Paul was saying when you think about sin, you think about temptation, There's a natural inclination among some to say, well, I would never, ever do that. There is no way that I would ever commit that sin. So Paul put this verse in here. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Listen, there is no sin apart from the grace of God that you and I are incapable of committing. There's no sin apart from the grace of God that we're incapable of committing. Do you remember on the night before he was crucified, Jesus said to his disciples, listen, tonight I'm going to be beaten, I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to be arrested. They're going to st-, he said this, they're going to strike the shepherd tonight and the sheep will be scattered. All of you disciples are going to flee from me. You're going to run away from me. And Simon Peter spoke up and he said, Lord, even if I have to die with you, I'll never forsake you. And Jesus said, Peter... Before the rooster crows in the morning, you're going to deny three times that you even know me. And Peter said, Lord, I will never, ever deny you. And just a few hours later, he denied him three times. So this is the verse from Paul. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Now, beginning in verse 13, we have a couple of principles here that will help us with temptation. Paul said, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And so we're thinking about temptation here. And the first thing I want to say is this. Everyone faces temptation. Everybody. You do. I do. The Pope does. Everybody who's living faces temptation. Nobody is immune from temptation. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. The New Living Translation says it this way. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. Sometimes we think, man, what I'm going through right now, this temptation... This is, this is something, I don't think anybody's ever felt exactly what I'm feeling right now. Yes, they have, and yes, they do. 
all over the world, whatever you're facing today, somebody else is facing it, and probably a lot of people are facing that same temptation. Why? Because no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. It's something we all face. Everyone does. But God helps us when we're tempted. Notice again, it says, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. When you face a temptation of any kind, and I know when we think about temptation, we always think about sexual temptation, and that's a big part of it, and we're going to see a story in the Old Testament that involved that, but that's not the only temptation that there is. I mean, while it is true that it's impossible to be pure for you or for me if we're not pure in the sexual area, it's impossible to be pure if we're not pure there, but we can be pure in that area of our lives and still not be pure in the eyes of God, in other areas, you know, you can, you, can, you can do a lot of things besides commit sexual sin and lose your purity. Well, the Bible says that when we're tempted like that, God is faithful, and He's not going to allow us to be tempted beyond what we are able. What does that mean? It means that He helps us in our temptation. So today, you're facing a temptation of some kind. You know what that means? That means as God looks at that situation, God knows you can handle that temptation. God knows that you can resist that, t- that temptation. God, God knows that, that you, with his help you can handle it. He's not going to let you be tempted beyond what you are able. But he's also going to provide a way of escape, a way out of that temptation. Look at the, again at the end of verse 13. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. The way out, the way away from the temptation. I can remember in 1995, I came on the church staff here at First Baptist, and I was a student minister here for seven years. And in the first few weeks and months that I was here, I noticed that our students didn't know each other, you know, very well. We had students going to Deer Park schools, Pasadena schools, South Houston schools, and then they would come to church, but their church friends weren't their school friends, and so they didn't really run around and do things with their church friends. And so I was trying to create some kind of a camaraderie with that group. And so everything I could think of social, there was nothing spiritual to this, but everything social, we rode go-karts, we went to the LaPorte Wave Pool, we went and played putt-putt, we went to Astro World. we did everything imaginable to try to create camaraderie with that group. And so one week I decided that I thought it would be a good idea to take the students to watch a movie. And so I found a movie on Southmore at the old theater by the old church on Southmore. And I can't, remember, I can't remember what the movie was. It was either a PG or a PG-13 movie. But I said, well, that'll be something we'll go do. So we got our vans and we went to the movies. We were in there watching, sitting there. The movie just started. And about 10 minutes into the movie, they started using really bad language. And, you know, sometimes you see that and you think, well, maybe they'll just stop. Well, they didn't stop. It just got worse. And I'm sitting there thinking... If I don't get these kids out of here, I'm going to lose my job. I've got to do something because I brought them to this movie. And so I said, I kind of whistled and got their attention. I said, hey, we're out of here. Let's go. And so we all left, got in the vans, went, I think we went to Casa Olay across the street, got something to eat. I thought, well, surely nobody will be cussing in here. We'll be all right. But that day, I learned a lesson, and the students learned a lesson. I learned that you should never take teenagers to a movie you've not watched yourself first. That's what I learned. And they learned if you get in a situation like that, you can always head for the exits and you can always walk out the back door. And that's what Paul is saying here. When we're tempted, 
whether it's at a movie theater, that wasn't even a temptation. That was just bad, and we had to leave. But whether it would have been a temptation or whether it's in the sexual area, sometimes we're tempted, and it's not even like that. Sometimes we're tempted, and we don't even know it's a temptation. You know, the devil is sly. He's crafty. And he wants us to to sin without even knowing that we're sinning. Sometimes you can be in a conversation with somebody. And maybe a a controversial topic comes up. Maybe you're talking about politics. Let's just take that. That, What's more controversial than that today? And so here you are in this conversation at work tomorrow. And somebody just makes the statement, Well, you know, I think so-and-so, political person, is the greatest thing that ever happened to our country. And you're sitting there greatest thing that ever happened to our country, I think you've lost your mind. I think they're the worst thing that ever happened to our country. So you don't recognize that as a temptation. You recognize that as a conversation. But if you say to that person, I believe you've lost your mind, well, I just say that's not going to be received well when you tell somebody they've lost their mind. So you have to decide. See, that's the moment of temptation. That's a temptation in disguise. So what do you say? Well, you could do one of two things in a setting like that. You can you, you can try to just quiet the conversation or, you know, mute the conversation and say something to the effect was, well, you know, that, 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 that stuff is way above my pay grade. I'm, I'm glad that's for somebody else to figure out. If you say something like that, you kind of took a, took a pass on that, but you, you didn't have a conflict. Or if you say, I don't want to take a pass. I don't think as Christians we always have to take a pass. I think we can say what we think. Well, I do too. We can say what we think and what we believe, but we have to say it with kindness. And so you might could say something like this. You might could say, well, I guess I look at it slightly differently. And then you can say what you think. But see, when you start out saying, I look at it slightly differently, you're acknowledging that you heard how they looked at it, and you're just saying, well, I look at it slightly differently. So that's not combative. Whereas if you say, I believe you've lost your mind, that's combative. And so in the moment of temptation, we have to look for the exits. I'm not saying you always run, you don't run away from a conversation, but you look for a way to calm it down, or you look for a way to speak peace into it, and sometimes we do have to run for the exits, and sometimes we have to get away from the temptation. Now, turn back to Genesis chapter 39, if you will, because most of us here today, or at least many of us, are familiar with a man named Joseph in the Old Testament. Joseph was one of 12 sons. Their father's name was Jacob. And when Joseph was born, he became the favorite son. He was the 11th of 12 sons, and he was his father's favorite. And on one occasion, his father gave him a beautiful coat, the Bible says, of many colors. And Joseph was wearing that coat, and the brothers were jealous, and they they didn't like, they resented Joseph. So they threw him in a pit. They said, let him die down there. And then they thought, well, now if we let him die, we're going to feel guilty because we will have killed him. Let's bring him out of the pit and sell him to a group of people who were traveling to Egypt, some slave traders back in that day, and then we won't be guilty of murder, and we'll have some money off of our brother. That's what they did. They sold Joseph. He goes to Egypt. He gets to Egypt. He's about 17, 17, 18 years old. He doesn't know a soul down there. He's in a foreign country now. And after he'd been there for a little while, he got a pretty good job working as the assistant for a high-ranking governmental official there in in Egypt. And yet, as I said at the beginning, everyone faces temptation. Now look at chapter 39 of Genesis and look at verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Now we just read by it. We read that. Joseph goes to Egypt. But remember who Joseph was. Joseph was Jacob's son. Jacob is the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. 
He was Isaac's grandson. And he was Abraham's great-grandson. I mean, Abraham is the father of our faith, and Jacob is his great-grandson. So we can say it this way. Joseph came from a great family. And yet, that didn't mean that he was exempted from going through temptation. Not only that, Joseph had a personal relationship with God himself. Look in verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph. Say that with me. The Lord was with Joseph. Look in verse 3. You see the same thing again. And his master saw that the Lord was with him. Joseph had a real relationship with God. It wasn't just his father's faith or his grandfather's faith. It was his faith. And yet, that didn't exempt him from temptation. And not only that, Joseph was a very successful man. Look at the end of verse 2. It says, at the beginning of the verse, the Lord was with Joseph. He was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And at the end of verse 3, the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. And we could read on and just see how very prosperous and successful Joseph was. But not only that, he was a young Strong and attractive young man. Look at the end of verse 6. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Now, think about what I've said so far. This man, Joseph, this young man, came from a great family. He had a great relationship with God. He was close to God. He was successful in everything he did. God made it prosper. And now he's healthy and he's young and he's vibrant and he's strong. And you look at Joseph, you say, man, Abraham's great-grandson is not going to struggle with temptation. Jacob's son is not going to have to deal with this. And yet he did because everybody faces temptation. You, some, many of you students have grown up in the church. Your parents, your grandparents, family go to this church. You come from a great family. You have a great relationship with God yourself. But that doesn't mean that you're going to be exempted from temptation. We all face it. Now, beginning in verse 7, we read what happened to Joseph. Look at this. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. Now, this lady wasn't messing around, right? She's direct. I mean, she's just straight. Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is with me in all the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There's no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you're his wife. Now, look at the question Joseph asked. How then can I do this great wickedness? and sin against God. You see, even in the moment of temptation, Joseph had his mind on God. Now, it would have been easy for Joseph to have said, I'm in Egypt, man. I'm away from my family. My dad's not here. My brothers aren't here. Our friends aren't here. Nobody knows me here. I could do this act with this lady, and nobody would know it. And yet, Joseph knew that God would know it. And in Joseph's mind, That was enough. How then can I sin and do this great wickedness and sin against God? Verse 10, so it was as she spoke to Joseph day by day, day by day, trying to wear him down day by day, that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was inside, that she caught him by his garments. Now she's pulling him by the clothes, saying, lie with me. This lady had a type A personality, right? I mean, A and X-rated, right? It's bad, bad combination. I mean, this is what she had. And she's pulling, I mean, physically now, she's pulling Joseph in. And Joseph, the moment of temptation, he's 17 years old. Every hormone imaginable running through his body. And yet in the midst of that, 
Joseph's thinking about God. And he's asking this question, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? My family's not here. My friends aren't here. My community's not here. Nobody knows me here, but God is here. And if I give in to this temptation, I'm going to disappoint God. And in an Old Testament sense, Joseph was saying, if I do this deed, what's going to happen is that for all practical purposes, the Spirit of God, like a dove, is going to flutter away. And so he said, I don't, want, I don't want to lose that closeness with God. I don't want to lose that with God. And notice what he did at the end of verse 12. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. He headed for the exits. The movie got bad and he looked for the exit sign and he went out the back door. He fled and he ran outside. Now, Joseph did the right thing. If we read the rest of this chapter today, you might expect to read that as a result for Joseph doing the right thing when nobody but God would have known. You might have expected it to say, and as a result of Joseph's dedication to God, God sent down a couple of thousand angels, and those angels were applauding and saying, Joseph, man, we were watching that. We didn't know if you were going to be able to resist that, but you stood strong. Congratulations, Joseph. We're so proud of you, but that didn't happen. You might expect that we would have an Old Testament appearance of Christ, the pre-incarnate Christ, like the fourth man in the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You might have expected Jesus to show up down there in Egypt and say, oh, Joseph, I was watching that. Man, I know that was tough. I didn't know if you were going to be able to hold on to that, but you resisted, and I'm so proud of you, and I just came to applaud you and hug your neck. That's not what happened. If we read the rest of this chapter, you know what we find out happened? As a result of Joseph doing the right thing, This lady, this temptress, this seductress, got mad at Joseph. She felt scorned and rejected by Joseph. And so, to save her own, I don't know if she was trying to save face or what she was trying to do, but she got the word out that Joseph had raped her. And so Joseph now is a foreigner living in Egypt. Nobody knows him. And you've got this high-ranking lady saying, he raped me. Well, who do you think they're going to believe, her or him? They believed her. And for about 13 years, Joseph went to prison. Think about what I'm saying. Joseph did the right thing. And the result of his obedience was he went to prison for 13 years. What do we learn from that? We learn that while it is true that God always blesses our obedience, it is also true that God doesn't necessarily bless our obedience immediately. And our motive for obeying God and trying to live a pure, holy life is not just so God will bless us, although eventually He will. Our motive to pursue purity in our lives is so that we can please God. And Joseph knew that. And even in prison, his faith remained strong, and he didn't give up, and he hung in there and... God eventually promoted him and made him prime minister in Egypt. Eventually, that obedience was blessed and rewarded, but it wasn't blessed and rewarded immediately. Some of you may say, John, I kind of can relate to that. I feel like I've been tempted or I'm being tempted, whether it's sexually or financially. You're tempted to lie or cheat, or maybe it's with your temper or arguing, and I'm being tempted to take the bait, and, I didn't, and I've been resisting and trying to do right, and I don't, I don't feel like God has really rewarded me that for that yet you just wait the blessing will always come in the moment of temptation 
we have to know what to do. And so I want to mention three things that we can do in the moment of temptation. Number one, pause. One of the things that gets us in trouble in temptation is impulse. Here's a sexual temptation that we have the desire to give in. The impulse would lead you to give in. Or here's the conversation and somebody says something and it rubs you the wrong way. You didn't appreciate it and you want to respond back and say your side of that. Impulse. There's something about pausing before we speak or before we act to buy ourselves some time. So just, just pause. Don't act. Just, just buy yourself. It may just be a few seconds, but pause. Number two, think. In the moment of temptation, think. And think beyond this moment. If you give in to the temptation, how will you feel three hours from now, three days from now, three weeks from now? How will you feel if you give in? How, what will be the consequences of this saying this whatever or doing this whatever it might be? If you do it, what are the consequences of that? Or, or think about this. How will this negatively affect your witness for Christ? I think that's something we should all think about when we're faced with the temptation. If I, if I do what I'm being tempted to do, if I say what I want to say, how is that going to affect my witness for Christ? Think. Think beyond the moment. Think long term. In the moment of temptation, the devil only wants us to think about what we want right then and right there. But if we can pause, take a step back, and think beyond the moment, how will I feel tonight when I get home? How will I feel tomorrow morning when I wake up? How will I feel at church next Sunday? If I do this, if I say this, how will I feel? Think. And then number three, do the right thing. Do the right thing. That, that's a decision. We have a desire. We make a commitment. But in the moment of temptation, we have to actually make a decision to do the right thing, to head for the exits, to resist the temptation to tell somebody off or to be rude or to tell them how wrong they are and how right we are. No, we have to soften that. The Holy Spirit's not that way. The Holy Spirit is not harsh. So we want to pause and think and do the right thing. And the right thing is you're looking for a way out, to diffuse a situation, to head for the exits, or whatever it might be. You know, when you're tempted, when I'm tempted, we're all tempted, it's like we come to a fork in the road, and we have to make a decision to give in to the temptation or to resist the temptation. I encourage you as I encourage my own self, instead of giving in to the impulse and sinning, let's learn to pause and think and do the right thing. Because we know if we'll do that, God will be pleased and we'll be glad. Amen. With your head bowed and eyes closed today, how many here today would say, John, I don't have full assurance of my salvation. I don't know for sure that I'm saved. Well, if, if that's where you are today, you can get it settled by praying this prayer. The Bible says, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you'll pray this prayer today, God will hear it and answer it. And today can be the first day of the rest of your life. Say this to him. Say, Lord Jesus. I need you in my life. I have sinned and fallen short. God, I need forgiveness. And I ask you now to come into my heart. Forgive all my sins. And make me a Christian. God, I ask you to save me in this moment. And I trust you to do it. I don't hope you'll do it or think you'll do it. I know you'll do it. I trust you, Jesus, to save me right now. Amen. 
For those of you who have prayed to receive Christ as your Savior today, we would love to know about it and to rejoice with you in your decision. Please let us know by sending an email to info at peacebybelieving.org or by giving us a call at 1-800-337-0157. Again, that's 1-800-337-0157. We hope that today's message has been a blessing to you. You can find this message along with many others on our website, peacebybelieving.org, under the broadcast tab. If you are a new believer in Jesus, we encourage you to get plugged into a strong Bible-believing church in your area and to tell your friends and family about how Jesus has changed your life. We have a booklet titled, How to Be a Happy Christian, that will help you in your new faith journey. You can find it and others under the booklets tab on our website, peacebybelieving.org. Thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to you being with us on the next Peace by Believing with John Redmond.